Hey guys, Aaron here. You're listening to Season 7 of the Good Lion Podcast, and I wanted to let you know that you can actually now leave comments directly on podcast episodes. Super cool, right? Kind of like YouTube, but now with podcast. It's new technology, but you can take advantage of it right now if you're listening on Spotify. On all of the episodes for this season, if you listen on Spotify, you will see right there in the Spotify app, there will be a prompt that basically says, hey, if you've got a follow up question or a comment after listening to this episode, drop it right here. You can do that right from your Spotify account. Please do it. It would That would be so awesome if we could just hear directly from you guys after you listen to an episode, how you felt about it, what you thought, if you had follow-up questions. So yeah, that that is our appeal to you. Help us out right from the Spotify app. And if you're listening on any other podcast app, you're cool too. You just can't leave direct comments. But we love emails, goodlinenetwork at gmail.com. We love Instagram messages. Whatever you want to do, any anytime you guys let us know you're listening and the stuff you're learning, the stuff you're thinking through, the the follow-up questions, the pushback, we love it all. Thanks for listening. Let, let's get into today's episode. Welcome to another episode of the Good Lion Podcast. I am one of your hosts, Brian Higgins. I'm your other host, Aaron Salvato. You always say other like it's lesser, but it, <laughs> you are equal host. And today we are here most of all. So now I'm making you lesser. That's on me. <laughs> We are here as well with Dominic Doan, a former lead pastor of Westside, a Jesus church, and now currently leading and founding the ministry Pursuing Faith, mm. uh, all about being able to minister to doubters and seekers and skeptics and uh, a whole lot more than that. Dominic, thank you so much for being on today. Oh, it's so good. So good to chat with you guys. Thanks for the invite. It's good to have you, man. This is your second time on the show. We, we don't have a lot of people back, or at least we haven't had a lot of people back twice. So this is really cool to have you on again. Uh, and uh, Oh, thank you. Either and, either that meant it went well the first time or it was horrible and you wanted to kind of redeem it. Yeah. Yeah. In your honor, I'm drinking tea from a uh, Powell's <laughs> bookstore coffee mug that I got in Portland. So. Powell's is the best place for books. I miss it. <laughs> Me too. I only went once, but I miss it. We, we've got a short amount of time to record today, so we're just going to move things along really quick. I'll set up what we're doing. So, Dominic, you are leading a ministry that is all about doubt and deconstruction and, and faith, really, helping people pursue their faith. You've written a book. What was the title of the book again? I have literally six copies, but uh, oh, wow. <laughs> I forgot the, uh, the title. Yeah, it's called, it's called When Faith Fails, Finding God. Yes in the shadow of doubt yes read it gave it as gifts to several of my former students loved it today what we're doing is we're addressing the problem of deconstruction mm. and before we do that just briefly can you just sum up in your assessment what are your thoughts on deconstruction right now we know you're talking about this a lot on different shows across our network so we're not going to do an episode where we're mm. spending the entire time breaking down the idea, but just up front, can you break down the idea and just share a little bit of your, your heart on that topic? Absolutely. Yeah. So, I mean, there's a lot to that question. Uh, there's deconstruction, you know, from a philosophical perspective, and you could trace the history of that. But I, I'd, I'd go deeper into kind of a scriptural take on it. I mean, probably the simplest way to think of it is think of like construction, you know, think of a house, you say you buy a house and 
then you discover that you know the wood inside the frame the bones of it are rotten then you need to go in and clean house and redo it rethink it so deconstruction in, in some senses can be a healthy thing however the end game is what matters so if it's deconstruction just for the sake of deconstruction and when we're talking about faith in this current movement that we're seeing happening across our nation if it's not leading you anywhere if it's not leading to a rebuilding of the house it's a healthy more vibrant more jesus focused you know worldview then it can be unhealthy so i would i would differentiate between kind of a toxic deconstruction that you know just think of the angsty cynical person that just wants to tear their former faith down or the faith of their church that they got hurt by or the faith of their parents that they're rebelling against there's that that form of it and then there's a form of it that is deeply thoughtful mm-hmm. that says how can i revisit some of these truths or areas of theology or things i inherited from my church mm-hmm. and and how can i filter them through the lens of jesus and that mm-hmm. can be a very very life-giving process so it all depends what your outcome is i think one of the most honest questions someone who is deconstructing can ask themselves is what is my end game where do i where do i want this to lead and that question can unveil and reveal a lot of stuff mm. fully agree yeah so everything you said lines up with what we've observed and what we've seen and you know those of us who listen to the show you guys know, you know, all our cards are on the table. Brian and I are two guys who not only love Jesus, but think he's the most compelling, most logical, most just amazing person in the universe with the most perfect plan. But we also understand that faith is hard and we've been through our own doubts and we've deconstructed our own ideas around some of the faith practices and ideas that we grew up in. But I think what we're seeing nowadays is kind of like, you know, for us, you know, we grew up, I think all three of us actually, we, we, we grew up, or at least we did ministry within the Calvary Chapel movement. And we think back to like, you know, the explosion of the Jesus people movement, this revival in the 1960s. I think nowadays it's almost like we're seeing an anti-revival where people mm-hmm. are celebrating leaving the faith, taking the faith mm-hmm. apart, picking apart the faith. We're, we're seeing people really point out some things that, are true, some true problems and blind spots, but then people also who kind of like what we said several times in the show, it's like they found the termites in the house and instead of getting rid of mm-hmm. the termites, they just are like, let's burn the house down and find something else. So what we did for this episode is we thought instead of just sitting around talking about what deconstruction is, let's engage with some actual mm-hmm. deconstruction. So we went out and mm-hmm. spent a few hours researching on social media, which is a breeding ground for deconstruction. It's where a lot of people feel safe and honest to to be honest with their doubts and deconstruction. So we went out and we found a bunch of memes from real people. <laughs> and uh, th- these are people sharing their thoughts on deconstruction. And what we want to do is we just want to read these to you and just get your thoughts on them. So that's, sure. that's, that's the goal. Let's engage with some Sounds real fun. deconstruction. Brian, why don't, why don't you hit him with the first one? And we just have a list and we're just going to kind of pick from this list. So you, you go first, Brian. Yeah, here from the absolute pinnacle of theological research, meme culture, the <laughs> the first thought that I would like us to kind of work through, the it, it's basically just a quote block that says this, evangelicalism destroys faith 
because it destroys mm. any sense of uncertainty and unpredictability mm. by working in a register of moral, political, and theological certainty evangelicalism becomes the antithesis of faith. And I guess even before you respond to that, I I would just want to say I have felt parts of that. You know, I mm. I've looked mm. at other Christians who are just as soon as they see an issue, they are so certain about everything and part of me envies mm. that because I feel like I have so many questions and I have so many things I still don't know mm. and part of me also can look at that and say if you're so certain about it, like there's people that are a thousand percent certain about things often wind up being wrong. And it just seems like it's mm -hmm. a, a black and whiting of a very gray world. So hmm. with, with those thoughts in mind, how would you respond to someone kind of wrestling through that idea? Yeah, I'd say, first of all, that's a good point. And I think, you know, probably with all these memes we're going to look at today, it is important to humanize them yes, and yeah. recognize that behind the meme, oftentimes, not always, sometimes it's just the jaded, angry person that wants to vent, but oftentimes it's someone who's been deeply hurt or is working through their own issues of faith or they have a desire to encounter God in a more authentic way. So I think that's an important caveat that, that one of you made, but what, that point of evangelicalism kind of destroying faith. That's a really interesting approach. You know, I, I guess where I would start is I would say it's not just a problem with evangelicalism. <laughs> I think there's a kind of a broader cultural obsession with certainty. It's like we we have a passion to know everything, right? We map the world with GPS because we want to <laughs> see where everything is. We seek answers on Yelp because we want assurance that the food is good. <clears throat> Every second, you know, we're asking Google thousands and thousands of questions. <laughs> and it's like we've tasted culturally of the tree of knowledge and we keep coming back for more. So it's kind of a broader problem. We, we do appreciate knowing things and being certain about things. I would, and, and I'll probably, my guess is with many of these things we talk about today, I'd want to push it from the realm of evangelicalism and, you know, back to how does scripture approach this. Mm. But I do agree that at least probably from our experience, you know, think of like the apologetics of the eighties, nineties, where if you, if you have a question, here's a book, 101 answers, you just memorize these points. Our sermons are like neatly structured models of industry, right? You know, three didactic points all begin with the letter P. And of course, the benefit of that kind of Christianity is all, that all the work is done for you. You just sign on the line and you don't have to worry about faith again. But that's faith is messy. <laughs> faith mm. is, is brimming with with uncertainty and questions. I think many forms of evangelicalism have gotten their definition of faith and doubt and deconstruction from Genesis 3, where, of course, Satan there uses doubt in a very unhealthy, toxic way. And has God really said, and you know the story. But I would push it back to Genesis chapter 1 and get our theology of faith and doubt there. Because what you see in Genesis 1 is you have a good God, a limitless God, an eternal God who creates a very limited world mm. and places male and female inside a garden that has limits and boundaries and barriers. Intellectually, they had limitations. Spiritually, they had limitations. 
in every single capacity, there were boundaries to, mm. to their existence. And there's, you know, philosophical, theological reasons for that, because God, by definition, if he's going to create something, he's, it's going to be lesser than himself, unless he's duplicating himself, in which case he's making God, but then you have polytheism, and that's weird. So by <laughs> definition, and you can look at Augustine, he talks about this, but by God creating something, he's making something that's lesser than himself. So naturally will have barriers and boundaries. So where does doubt come from? Hmm. Where does the need for faith come from? Well, it's because we live on the limited world. We have limited minds and that's not a bad thing. Like God made uh, Adam and Eve very curious and inquisitive. He's made us with a passion and desire to learn. Hmm. And so I think we need to own the fact that we don't know Aristotle talked about this. He says, I don't know what I don't know. <laughs> we need to own the fact of our own limitations, but then also embrace the beauty of discovery and having an inquisitive mind. Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Uh, the beauty of questions and where they can lead. Jesus asked over 300 questions in the Gospels. That was like his primary way of drawing people uh, towards truth, because questions, they force us to open up within our own assumptions. And so we, we've got to understand that there is beautiful, deep faith found in the questions. And if all we are touting is 100% certainty, we're missing some of the beauty of discovery. Hmm. And so I th to, to cut to the chase, I think, and this is why we started the ministry Pursuing Faith, I think we need a deep rethink of how we approach faith and doubt and our theology of doubt, how we train people to approach these questions with less of an emphasis on here's just memorize these things. You have all the answers. Yeah. Instead, yeah. adopt a more Jesus-y approach, which is hmm. truth found in conversation, in uh, pursuing the heart of God through questions and through discovery, you know, our faith mm. is a journey mm. and uh, part of, part of this whole process is embracing that. That's good. That's really good. You know, I, I think the only thing I would add to that is I agree with everything you said. And I think that there's some critique in here that as, as Christians and as evangelicals, like we, if we want to use that word, we should be able to receive some of this critique and go, okay, if mm. we have so much certainty wrapped around secondary issues where it's like if you can't be inside the club unless you fit this very narrow view that's going to push a lot of people mm. away so that's that's on mm. one hand, on the one hand like like they mentioned politics like certainty on politics mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. I think there are some things politically we should be certain on, but it's, you know, it's interesting growing up in evangelicalism, at least in my sphere, it was kind of like, you only think this one way politically. And then mm -hmm. I met Christians on my missionary trips in other countries. And it's not like they were super far gone, progressive, like taking scripture, not literally, but they were different on some things. And so that kind of shook up my mm -hmm. view of like, oh, like there is some difference within mm -hmm. the body of Christ. One guy mm. we're familiar with is Nathan Finocchio, who is uh, the founder over at CSU, and he's one of probably one of the most vocally super conservative guys that I know uh, on social media using his voice for that. But then he's even said like, yeah, like we're not all the same. Like I actually, uh, you know, this is Nathan talking, but he's like, I actually think universal health care mm. could be a decent thing. So. Mm. You know what I mean? It's it's one of those things where it's like we can't be so narrow. And then the on the flip side of it though, 
I think one thing to remember is that every faith, every belief, whether you're Christian or atheist or anything in between, there is a certain level of certainty that everyone holds about something. I was mm-hmm. talking last night mm-hmm. to a friend who was a former Christian and now is deconstructed, full-blown atheist, just rejects everything we used to believe. We grew up together and we were talking about some issue and I was like, yeah, it's interesting. There's this debate about this scientific issue. And he was like, well, there's no debate, you know, <laughs> like this is fact. <laughs> and he had yeah. just kind of criticized me earlier for holding my faith in, in Christianity so mm. certain. So I, I just think it's important to point out that everybody has a certain level of certainty about something. But that just... is such a good point. That's yeah, yeah. It, you're absolutely right. And I think our posture as followers of Jesus Sure, we can. There is certainty. I mean, that's where faith comes from. I the, the term certainty has kind of been convoluted. I think in modern discourse, mm. I I prefer to look at it as confidence with humility. Mm. Um, to say, hey, this is Christianity makes the most sense of the world as, as yeah. I see it. Jesus right. makes the most sense of of the world as I see it, and. There's a humility there. There's a posture of growth. There's a posture of learning. So when we push back on the idea of certainty, we're not saying, oh, don't be certain. that." No, we'd, we'd say actually it's deeper than just certainty because certainty can often smack of pride. Right. It's, it, it's a robust confidence right. with humility and a posture of growth. Yeah, as a Christian, I feel certain that Jesus is Lord. And there's a whole host of secondary issues that I'm not certain about, and that's okay. And I think it's okay to recognize that. So I'll throw another meme at you. This one's kind of a funny one, uh, but it's just, it's it's reflective of what it's like to grow up in church. Uh, This is a a meme that was posted. My evangelical parents say, why are you so scared all the time? And then it's flashback to 10-year-old me and the things that are constant. It's just they're surrounded by the rapture, going to hell, forced evangelism, angels, demons, purity, exorcisms, revelation, scary Carmen videos, going to heaven, spiritual warfare, (laughs) committing the unforgivable sin. They're just surrounded by all of these things. And, you know, I, I think there's something to that. Like... Growing up yeah. in the church, we grew up with a lot of weird stuff, you know, from the outside Especially the Carmen videos. <laughs> I don't the know champion. if you guys remember that. Maybe I'm, date, yeah, I'm dating oh, myself, yeah. but he had one called The Witch's Invitation. And yes. I can't remember if I was like a freshman or in middle school or something, but that freaked me out. Like, And, you know, that was kind of during the age when Christians were like really scared about backward masking. Like everything was... You know, you play it backwards, these new songs, and it says, like, Satan or something. <laughs> there was a lot of fear. And, you know, I, a couple ways to approach that. So, like, yes, certainly, I think that was part of a very narrow sliver of evangelicalism, as we call it. And a lot of these memes are kind of, <laughs> they lack historical nuance. <laughs> but speaking, you know, for that list that they gave, a lot of those things, yeah, were scary. And when you look at scripture, he has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. And again, I, I would say, okay, I agree with you. There was a lot I saw in church growing up that was just off. And trying to manipulate through fear, trying to persuade through fear. Mm. But that is not how Jesus did it. So mm. can we take an example of some churches adopting that approach as speaking for the heart of Jesus? No. Mm. I mean, the way Jesus led 
and the way Jesus ministered. Uh, he wasn't trying to scare people into belief, <laughs> but love them. With one exception, there was there was one group of people that he did try and scare, and that was the religious leaders, ironically. Um, so if there's one group of people we should be trying to shake up, it would be that group. But Jesus, his posture towards the unbeliever, uh, he didn't isolate from them, but he allowed people to rush against him to crush, almost crush him at one point. I think of Luke 8. Mm. He just poured himself out where to the degree where he's physically exhausted. He gave his time to travel where sinners lived. He ate and drank Mm. with the sinners. He received hospitality from sinners. I mean, he gave hungry people food instead of pushing Mm. them away. He touched them. Even though they were considered unclean, he showed compassion. He freed them. Mm. He invited them when they were weary and burdened to come to him. I mean, the list goes on. Like Jesus' posture was not intimidation and fear to those who didn't believe, but rather radical love and acceptance. And so when it comes to that meme, I'd say, yeah, I'm sorry. That's, <laughs> I, I hear you. I felt some of that growing up, but please know that that's not the heart of Jesus. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It, it It's funny. What you're reminding me of is there's a, there's a quote in a Raymond Chandler book where a crime has been committed and you following the detective know that it's just being covered up and that detective reads about the cover up in the newspaper and he uses the line it was a neat report it had the austere simplicity of fiction rather than the tangled woof of fact <laughs> and part wow. of me kind of looks at everything that we're seeing like look at nature around us nature's weird Nature doesn't make sense. And so much of how God works, I don't want to call it weird, but feels very strange to us. Feels mm. like it, it doesn't all line up super neatly all of the time. Like we were just talking about with even that, that first question or that first response of humility and so much that we don't know. I, I'm totally agreeing with you that God comes to us not to intimidate or to try to strike fear into us so that then we'll we'll follow him Mm. and love him but as we learn more of who he is and how he operates there may kind of be some of that tangled woof of facts does that make sense or Mm -hmm. absolutely yeah i I love that quote (laughs) the tangled woof of facts And that gets into as well, just the heart behind, what is the heart behind deconstruction and what lies behind some of these hard experiences we've had and how do we get to the heart of Jesus in all of this? I'd love to bring up the next one that I think will kind of help us move towards breaking down what that heart of Jesus is. The next meme simply says, it's weird being taught that God loves you just as you are, but also you're evil at your core. So repent and change who you are for God to fully accept you. Mm, Wow. That's, that's a really good one. That's really good. And I think again, that's probably coming out of a place of, having experienced a harsh or a judgmental Christian culture or environment or church or upbringing. 
And again, we go back to the heart of God. So let me just take those lines. Okay, you're taught that God loves you just as you are. And that is very, very true, right? Jesus said, come to me when you're weary and heavy laden, I will give you rest. Um, that's his heart to accept and love and embrace when we're at our worst, while we are yet sinners, Romans 5 says, Christ died for us. So he does love us at our, as we are, and that's, that's so true. But then this line, you know, you're evil at your course or repent and change for God to fully accept you. So you see a contradiction there already in the meme, the beginning mm -hmm. and the end saying, okay, God does accept you as you are, but you have to do this in order for God to accept you as you are. So both can't be true in the same place because acceptance is, is either full or it's not. It's either unconditional or it's not. But you know, you think of that line, you're evil at your core, so repent. What I would do there is I would say, okay, what, what does scripture actually say about this? And you go back to Genesis. And again, I think so much of broken theology starts in the place of Genesis 3, but you have to go back to Genesis 1. And in Genesis 1, you have a good God who creates a good world. And mm -hmm. when he was done creating, he said three words, it is good. He made the mountains and he said, it's good. He made Colorado. He said, it is good. Oklahoma, it is good. He made people and he said, it's good. Although it's interesting, he, he made Adam and, <laughs> and then he said, it is not good. He said, it's not good for man to be alone. So it's like he took one look at him and he said, I can do better than that. And that's when he made Eve. But God creates male and female and he says, hey, it's good, it's good, it's good. He placed him in a garden, uh, an Eden, which means delight. So it's a beautiful world. And that was God's heart from the very beginning. And that was God's posture towards humanity. Now, the reality is sin entered the world through choice. And what you see in the world today, I don't think anyone would argue this. It, the world's messed up. People are messed up. I'm messed up. You're messed up. We're all... We all have issues and there's there's darkness within every one of us. I think of the, the feminist writer, Rebecca Black, I think she said there's a yeasty darkness within the heart of, of everyone. You look at, at the events of last century, you look at the events of last week, you, <laughs> you look at what's going on in the world today, you look at such atrocities as abuse or trafficking and yeah, we, we identify there is something wrong. There is a yeasty blackness within mm. us. So what is God's answer to that? His mm. answer to that is radical acceptance and embrace through Jesus, through repentance. That's true. What is repentance? I think that word gets a bad rap. But repentance is just admitting our need for grace. It's, you know, the word literally means you're turning around. You, you were headed one direction and now you're moving in another direction. And that's a beautiful thing. To change is a beautiful thing. Uh, to experience mm. redemption is a beautiful thing. And God does accept you. He loves all people, even those who are truly broken and doing horrific things. He loves them too. Mm. But there is also the reality that to experience God's grace in a very tangible, visceral, life-changing way, there has to be our choice to turn from the life and the path we were once on. It's hmm. really good. Yeah. I couldn't agree more, man. I, I, you know, the images that are coming to my mind are that classic, just classic biblical example of the, the potter and the clay. 
and God mm-hmm. shaping us. And it's not into like making us somebody different. It's making us into who we already were meant to be, like who he designed us to be. Yeah. And the Bible talks a lot also about, about cleansing and cleaning. And That's right. the thing that comes into my mind, because we're talking about, you know, this idea of God loves you just as you are, but then he wants you to repent. He wants you to change. And I'm about to have a baby in just, just a few months, about two months. And I'm already, I'm already in that mode of, of thinking and dreading about the diapers. Mm. And this is like, this is going to be, this is going to be so cheesy. I'm, I'm going into like full blown Calvary pastor, just mode. You know, my, my inner Calvary senior pastor mode is coming out, but yeah, it just, I'm dreading the diapers. But here's what I'm thinking is like, when my, when my son is going to make a mess in his diaper, that's that, like that mess, it's not him. Like that's not who mm. he is. Like he is who he is. And yet he's producing this mess, but I don't look at him and go, I will not love you and accept you until I clean up this mess. I'm disgusted by the mess, but I, my love for him isn't going to change. And right. so that, that's just what I'm thinking through is, you know, the sin, that's our mess, but it's not who we are. Yeah. And culture tries yes. to teach us to define ourselves by our sin. Not yes. all sins. There's there's some sins that are not culturally accepted, but there's many sins that where it's like, hey, embrace this. This is who you are. And God looks at us and doesn't say, you need to change who you are, and and then I'll love you. He says, no, I love you, but because I love you, I want to clean up your mess. Like, will, will you will you allow me to do that? Will will you let me clean mm. that mess out of love? So that's what's running through my mind. No, that's good. That's really good. Yeah. And what is repentance then? It's just simply saying, I don't want to live in this mess anymore. Mm. God help me, you know? Right. And it's hard to get there sometimes. Here, here's an interesting one I saw. So this, this kind of dips into the realm of politics, which in my experience, that is one that a lot of people struggle with um, when it comes to deconstruction. A lot of people, because of what they've, they've seen in the political sphere, in evangelicalism and politics, uh, it has caused them to go basically like, oh, everything I believe was a lie because I was told Jesus was this, this, and this, but the politics don't seem to line up. And and I've seen firsthand even, even young people that used to be my former students that are currently right now wrestling with this. So this is something interesting I saw. Um, the evangelical framework, this is the meme, the evangelical framework we grew up in is so narrow that there is almost no room for living out the teachings of Jesus without being labeled socialist, Marxist, or some other political smear. And then there was an interesting comment underneath it that basically said, yeah, I totally resonate with this. It reminds me of that classic quote, when I feed the poor, they call me a saint, but when I ask why the poor are hungry, they call me a communist. And I, you know, I've seen young people struggle with this where they have, they Mm -hmm. see problems in the world and then Mm -hmm. they go, the party or the group that I was told was the Jesus group doesn't seem to be addressing or fixing these Mm -hmm. issues. How do I stay a Christian? How do I stay in this framework? And for Mm -hmm. many, they end up putting the political solutions first and leaving the faith behind because they think I I can't, I just can't make them fit. I can't make them work together. Mm. I would absolutely sympathize with that point. Um, when you pastored in Portland, in so I'm sure I I'm pastored sure in Portland. Came up a lot. <laughs> yes, it did. And I have lots of conversations on this. I, I would agree. I think you look at the American evangelical church today, and this is painting with a super broad brush. <laughs> right. Yeah, but of course. 
Unfortunately, there are too many examples of churches getting way, way, way too political and embracing a certain ideology. And we've seen this happen, especially over the last few years. And it's sad. (laughs) It's not the heart of Jesus. And you start equating scripture, you start equating Christianity with a certain political framework or a certain way to vote or whatever. That I understand why that's a big turnoff. I, I think there's so many blind spots that we have when that is our way of looking at our faith. I mean, again, I would want to take the conversation. I would say, yes, I agree with you. Too many churches have done this, but go back to scripture, go back to the heart of Jesus. And the fact is for hundreds of years, followers of Jesus have insisted there's one kingdom Mm. and one Lord. Mm. That's why they said Jesus is Lord. And that was the radical claim of Christians under every political framework in history. And Mm. we need a resurgence Mm. of this, by the way. Under capitalism, under communism, Christians have proclaimed Jesus is Lord. Under freedom and oppression, Christians have said Jesus is Lord. And the underground church, institutional church, again, it's the same refrain, Jesus is Lord. And that's, that needs to be our politic. Like I am personally weary of just seeing the politic of, you know, red states or the politic of blue states and trying to fit your Christianity into that. Right. Cause you can't reduce the ethics of Jesus to a political system. It, yeah. Our, our politic, our ethic needs to be mm. Jesus is Lord. Full, fully agree. Cause what, what I've seen is kids who grew up like me in political Christian conservatism grow dissatisfied with it, run to the left, mm-hmm. think that that's going to solve their problems and right. their issues, think that that's going to mm-hmm. be a more perfect version of Christianity. And then they end up completely deconstructing and losing their faith altogether because that way of thinking, mm-hmm. that political ideology and system is also not compatible fully with the kingdom mm-hmm. of God. It's like, the, the paradigm is, it's it's completely different. It's not left or right. It's above. It's something separate. Absolutely. I mean, this is a conversation. You go back to Augustine and his book, his magisterial book, and very long, <laughs> City of God. And th- this is what he's talking about is, okay, we live in the city of man. What does it mean to be the city of God in the city of man? Or hmm. I think it's Michael Gerson. He, he talks about this too, how no human system will adequately or consistently embody the values of the kingdom. So in his book, he talks about how in the Roman world, Christians challenge the political status quo on so many different issues. Um, I think Tim Keller actually brings this out too, that in the first century, Christians, they preached the gospel. They believed the gospel had influence on all of life. And when it came to social and political issues, there were certain things they took a stand against. And I guarantee this is going to make some people listening to this mad on both sides. (laughs) But it's true. In the first century, um, the early church, they took a stand against racial injustice. But at the same time, they were pro-life. They were also pro-marriage. They believed that marriage was between men and women. But they were also deeply concerned about the poor and the marginalized. Um, Larry Hurtado talks about this, which, by the way, I recommend his book, Destroyer of the Gods. Hmm. Because you look at that list, and two of them look very conservative, and two of them look very liberal. Like two Hmm. are Fox News, two Hmm. are MSNBC, (laughs) two are red, two are blue. And the, the early church, you couldn't put them in a, in a box. That's what drove mm. people crazy. They're like, 
you're you're so, so subversive. You, you're not just waving the flag of one particular party. Mm. Where are the Christians in our day? And you know, and I I know there are many, but we need more who would Amen. take a stand and say, you know, I'm not going to reduce my ethics to a political party. I'm I'm a follower of Jesus. And I believe that Jesus is King, that Jesus is Lord. Mm. And I want to pursue the heart of Jesus, no matter what that looks like, no matter what my political party is telling me I need to believe, I'm going to follow the heart of Jesus. Preach. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I'm noticing this trend in your approach that I find really refreshing that I want to kind of dive into a little bit more. Everything in today's culture is very my side versus your side. You know, pick anything, everything from, you know, large political topics to what color was that dress back on Facebook in like 2016 or whatever. Like everything. See, Aaron's doing it already. Like everything was very much. I don't want to concede anything to the other side, because if I do, Mm. then they might start winning. And I don't want to I don't want to lose. I want to be on the team that wins. I've noticed that as we've thrown a few of these different you know, deconstructionist ideas at you, you seem to always begin with what you agree with. Like, it it seems like the consistent move has been, I see what you're seeing, but Jesus doesn't fully belong in that box. When you have that conversation, I'm sure that, you know, people make memes in part to get laughs and in part to have other people tell them how right they are. And I'm sure that a lot of the things that we've been kind of going through People, they write them with the thinking of, yeah, like crushed them, like score some points for my team. Like we didn't Mm -hmm. concede anything there. Mm. When you begin by conceding the common ground and maybe conceding is the wrong term, but acknowledging the common ground, Mm. how do you find that impacts the conversation going forward? Mm. Mm. Again, it's humanizing the, the person that behind the angry comments or cynical comments is often someone who's hurting, someone who's been wounded by the system, someone who has seen hypocrisy. And our task, I think an apologetic of the kingdom for 2021, our task needs to be one that is deeply resonant Mm -hmm. with the wounds that people carry, the hurts that people carry, Mm -hmm. a great empathy Uh, towards their story. And then we don't have to defend (laughs) the injustices or the abuses or the scandals of what people have done in the name of Jesus. Mm. Like, I'm not going to die on that ground. That's not, that's not the Mm -hmm. hill that I'm (laughs) spending my time on. Like what I'm interested in is who, who is Jesus and what does it mean to be a follower of Jesus? Not a system. I'm not a follower of a system. I'm a follower of Jesus. And when I look at Jesus, he's beautiful. And how he lived is beautiful. And the things he said was beautiful and challenging too. And uh, to me, that's a more captivating vision. You know, I, I forget who said it. There was a poet who said that if you want to get someone to um, go on a voyage, you, you don't just give them a list of the, what they need to build a ship. You teach them to long for the endless immensity of the sea. Mm. It's a it's a broader vision, right? Or Simon Sinek, mm-hmm. who did that TED Talk, start with why. Okay, why? Why do I believe this? It's because of Jesus. Mm. <laughs> and that's a 
that's a vision that, you know, like you mentioned the word anti-revival earlier. Um, <laughs> and I, I see that, but I would also say it's, it's pre-revival. I think before any great move of God, wow. there is a form of deconstruction beforehand. Absolutely. I mean, you look at the reformation, like there was plenty of deconstruction or the Jesus movement. There was plenty of deconstruction that took place. But it, many times it was clearing the ground as a farmer would break up hardened soil to prepare for the new seed to be planted. Mm -hmm. And I think what God wants to do in the emerging generation, and I have great hope for Gen Z, I really do. I think it's going to start with a generation of people being captivated by the person of Jesus. Amen. Who, yes, maybe have been disillusioned by church, who have been hurt by a system, who have seen the hypocrisy of politically minded leaders and whatever, they, they want something more than that. And yeah. I think there will be a renewal and an excitement that will center around Jesus and a desire to embody his values. So good. That's what we need. We need to recapture Jesus, help people reimagine Jesus and, and really rediscover who he is. Mm -hmm. Fully agree. I, I love what you guys are both talking about, this idea of humanizing. And that's really like what we're trying to do. We didn't want to do this episode to say, hey, let's pull up some dumb memes and talk about how dumb and wrong they are. Not our heart at all. Like we're, we're I think that it is so important to realize that in social media, when you go out and you look at, you know, hashtag deconstruction, one of the most common hashtags that is paired with hashtag deconstruction is hashtag church hurt. It's people mm -hmm. talking about here is the wounds that I experienced in my church and here's how it led me to my deconstruction. Jesus is the great physician. He wants us to be a part of that healing process. We need to view ourselves. Culture trains us to everything's a war. It's us versus them. You know, which side are you on? Jesus, I think, you know, it goes back to the angel and Joshua, right? J Joshua says, whose side are you on? Us or our enemies? And Jesus goes, neither, <laughs> right? <laughs> neither. Yes, I'm on the side of the yes. Lord. And and I, oh. I think, I think one thing that we can tend to do is, I don't know if you guys have ever been hmm. on hold with tech support, trying to fix a problem. I've had horrible luck with Cox communications, just horrible internet problems. When I am frustrated with the way that they've mistreated me and I'm talking to somebody on tech support, when I express my frustration with the company, they never address it. They ignore it and they just go, well, have you tried this? Have you tried that? They just throw at me these stock answers, these things that I've tried a hundred times and they still don't work. And as pastors, that's what we can do. People throw their hurt mm. at the church and we ignore it and we don't address it. And we just go, well, have you, have you tried this? Have you tried prayer? Have you tried scripture mm. memorization? That would probably solve your problem. And they're like, I have grown up. I've spent 20 years in the church doing that stuff. It, it, you know what I mean? Like you have to, at some point mm. feel that struggle of what they're dealing with. And so I think, I think we need more empathy, even though that's for, yeah. some, for some reason that's controversial right now is empathy. Uh, that's a whole nother episode, but yeah, I don't know. I'm, I'm rambling. We probably have time for one more meme, Brian, if you want to throw it at Dom and I'll just stop talking. <laughs> I guess to to stick on this topic of, of church hurt, we have one that says, when Christians say, I'm sorry you've been hurt while still adhering to abusive doctrine, 
still benefiting from the system that caused many people trauma, still trying to convert you to those same spaces and not critically looking at the church's harm, that's not an apology. Oh, and then there, yeah. there's, a, there's a continuation <laughs> to that. They say okay. after that, it's actually a way to further guilt the person who's deconstructed while having the Christian position, the authoritarian approach. It's usually, I'm sorry, but you need to hold on to God. I'm sorry, but you turned away. It's not an apology. It's, it's, I never use that word. Brian, what is that word? Perfunctory. There you go. Mm. Yeah. I mean, I would agree. <laughs> I think it gets back to this idea of repentance, right? And mm. there are a lot of things that church people, individuals, leaders who have done things or said things that are hurtful need to own and apologize for and repent from. And I, I think the church should be an example of what that means to own our mistakes. And when, we, when we've done things that are contrary to the heart of God, for, for the sake of healing, restoration, our healing and restoration, their healing and restoration, I, I think just digging in our heels and, you know, saying that we're always right, well, that's going to turn a lot of people away. So that, yeah, that, that meme, again, I think that's coming from a place of probably some very painful experience and a, a system that wasn't willing to own where they, they hurt or wrong somebody. Hmm. Yeah, man, fully agree. I think, yeah, you mentioned repentance and it's interesting because so often, at least, you know, in the American church, repentance can be framed as just merely stop doing what you're doing. Stop sinning. That's what repentance is. But in scripture, we know that the word repentance actually means to change your mind and to change your mind is to change your heart. And so instead of focusing so much on trying to get people to just stop what they're doing, we need to remember the battle is for hearts and minds. And in order to reach people, we have to engage them with their mind and with their heart. And that that takes kindness, that takes patience, that takes listening and empathy. Not empathy to the point where you're approving somebody's sin because that's letting them drink poison, but empathy to the point where you're understanding why that person feels compelled to sin in that way and and having compassion, you know? Yeah. I mean, again, it's how Jesus did things. I mean, lately I've just uh, been immersed, loving, loving, loving the gospel of John. And there's this great book that I've been going through by N.T. Wright called Broken Signposts, where he Mm -hmm. takes the gospel of John as a really roadmap for human longing. And Jesus, he spoke to human longing with such unending grace and Mm. empathetic mercy, whether it's the woman at the well who had longing for fulfillment, but she was also deeply broken and involved in things that were really harming her. And and that's that's the tragedy of sin. We, We preach or talk against it, not because... We're just trying to bash people over the head, but because of what sin does to people, <laughs> it mm. truly messes us up. And Jesus, he called that out. You know, he said, "Yeah, hey, you, yeah, you've got seven things, you know, seven relationships happening right now. You're sleeping with a guy. And, <laughs> but then in compassion, he, he says, but here's the answer. Here's the living water. Here's hope. And again, if we're wanting to reach people, just bashing them over he- their head because of, you know, their sin, it's not going to lead anywhere, but if we show them the heart of Christ 
and his acceptance and mercy, that is an apologetic that will resonate. Mm. Mm -hmm. So So good. good. Dominic, thank you for taking the time to help us think through these things and respond to these things. I know you do a lot of writing and thinking and content creating around this. How can people get in contact with those resources? Mm. Oh, thank you again. What what a, what a fascinating conversation. I love, love what you guys are doing. Yeah. If people want to connect, they can go to our website, which is pursuingfaith.org. I'm also on uh, Twitter and Instagram. Just my name, Dominic Doan. And Dominic also has a podcast here on the Good Lion Podcast Network called Pursuing Faith. Uh, your current, you, you've picked that back up again, right? You're working on new episodes for that? Yes, yes. We've put out four so far. Next week, excited for it. We've got a special guest. I won't spill the beans now, but I'm excited for the conversation we're going to have uh, next week. That's great. Awesome, man. Man, we love you. We look up to you as such a, a big brother. Y- you and all the... The, the Portland crew have influenced both me and Brian so much over the years. So mm-hmm. we really, really appreciate you. Thanks for coming on, man. And m- maybe you'll be our first third time guest sometime soon. <laughs> it's my honor, you guys. Appreciate you. Awesome, man. All right, we'll let you go. Thanks. Thanks for being on. Yeah. Thank you so much for You're taking welcome. the time. Really appreciate it. Yeah. Let me know when it, when it comes out and I'll help get the word out. Sounds good. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Good Lion Podcast. If you like our show, please take a minute to give us a review on Apple Podcasts. It seriously helps so much. The more reviews we get, the more people will find this content. And so if you want to help the show, please just go on the Apple Podcast app and leave a quick review. We also love questions from listeners and we love to do episodes focused on questions. So if you have a question that you want to talk to us about on the show, send it to our email address, which is goodlionnetwork at gmail.com. Send us a question and we'd love to talk about it on the show. The Good Lion Podcast is a production of the Calvary Global Network and it's produced by myself, Aaron Salvato, and my co-host, Brian Higgins. Our show is a part of the Good Lion Podcast Network, a network of Christian podcasters that Brian and I started with our friends. Check out our website, goodlion.io, where you can find a ton of other Christ-centered, encouraging, and equipping podcasts. Our goal with this ministry is to reach people all over the world with Christ-centered content that helps them as they walk closer with Jesus. If you like what we do and you want to support us, go to goodlion.io support. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you on the next one.